The briefing is brought to you in association with the Sustainable Cities in Action Forum at Expo City Dubai. The Sustainable Cities in Action Forum at Expo City Dubai is a place for city leaders, developers, architects and designers to come together and innovate for the future of urban spaces. It's an opportunity for the Global South to convene in the Global South. It's a testbed for real-world solutions that will shape the future of people and planet. You can hear from the innovative thinkers and inspirational voices that drove the narrative at this year's edition by listening to Monocle's special episodes of The Briefing, recorded live at Expo City Dubai in March. Find and listen to the shows now at monocle.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Sustainable Cities in Action Forum 2024. Collaborate. Innovate. Transform. You're listening to The Briefing, first broadcast on the 3rd of March 2023 on Monocle 24. The Briefing is brought to you in association with Alliance Partners. Hello and welcome to The Briefing, coming to you live from Studio One here at Midori House in London. I'm Georgina Godwin. Coming up on today's programme... Ukrainian military authorities have told residents of Kupiansk to evacuate the northeastern city as it comes under heavy Russian shelling. We'll be in Kherson to hear more. Then two authoritarian regimes lock up their opponents. In Belarus, a Nobel Prize winner and pro-democracy campaigner is sentenced to a decade in prison, whilst in Cambodia, the opposition leader faces 27 years under house arrest. We'll get the details. And finally... And we learned that among the very many varieties of dissent liable to incur the wrath of authorities in Russia is the hanging of noodles on one's ears. Andrew Muller will share what he learned this week. All that right here on The Briefing with me, Georgina Godwin. We begin the show in Ukraine, where the situation in Bakhmut is extremely serious. The deputy commander of the National Guard of Ukraine says that fighting is going on there round the clock. And the head of the paramilitary group, Wagner, says that pincers are closing in around Bakhmut and called on the president to abandon the city. And Ukrainian authorities have now ordered some residents of Kupiansk to leave their area as Russia seeks to retake the city it left last year. Well, journalist John Sweeney is in Kherson and he joins us now. John, many thanks for coming on the show. Can you tell us about the situation in Kupiansk, please? So Kupiansk, uh, I was there last October, and at that point, the Russian army had retreated uh, some distance from Kupiansk, and we went further to a place called Dvorichna, where we were, actually, I was interviewing um, a guy, a Ukrainian, who'd been tortured by the, um, by the Russians, and as we were interviewing him, a, shell, a Russian shell landed pretty close, and I, uh, I can remember uh, shouting to my team, "Get the flat jackets!" And we, uh, we um, ran and found a, a hole in the ground. So it's very depressing for Ukrainians that um, that's not the Richna, which is um, which was closer to the front line, but that's in trouble, and people are being told to evacuate Kupiansk. That's bad news. The news from Bakhmut is all bad. If you, you don't have to be a military strategist to look at the map, and you can see the the two claws of the kind of Russian crab 
are about to sort of gobble up Bakhmut, and it becomes very, very difficult for the Ukrainians to resupply, um, to get ammo in to get their injured soldiers out if they have to run through a kind of Russian gauntlet. So, so the news from the front right now isn't great for Ukraine. What are the other strategic places that we should be keeping an eye on? Well, I'm in Kherson right now, which is um, a town which was under Russian occupation. The Russians have left, um, but they're on the other side of the river. And, uh, well, I've been here this morning. There is an occasional um, crump and thunk, uh, thud of artillery. It's astonishing, isn't it, Georgina? To, I mean, I did this stuff, grey-level English, uh, Wilfred Owen's poems, Anthem for Doomed Youth, um, stuff about crumps, and all the idea that something I thought had been consigned to history, you know, war in Europe, has come back again, thanks to the Russians, thanks to Vladimir Putin. It's, um, it does your head in, frankly. Mm. Um, but the bigger picture, the wider picture, is, is more optimistic. I think it's fair to say that the Ukrainians will lose this war unless the West helps them as much as possible. And the West has been too slow to commit... The, to the Ukrainians, the things they're desperate for, in particular, tanks. Now, those decisions have now been made, but I believe that they were made too late and too slowly. And that is why the Russians are, are on the, um, the front foot at the moment, because they've, uh, Putin has had a draft, and he's now using his, his, uh, his cannon fodder, um, who go in kind of human wave attacks, because the Russians, Vladimir Putin doesn't care very much about his own people, mm. but nevertheless, just simply, you know, in war, quantity is quality, mass works, and so for the moment, the Russians are pushing ahead down the track. I think what will happen is when the Russian, when the Western uh, tanks, etc., arrive, and Ukrainians have got a mass of them, and the ground is dry at the moment it's too muddy i was trapped in mud the other day we had to be our car had to be rescued by um ukrainian uh, jeep to pull us backwards out of the mud when the ground dries and there's enough western tanks ukrainians can use then the war will change so for later this year for this summer i'm an optimist for now the news from ukraine is grim you mentioned Wilfred Owen uh, just now and uh, his poem Dulce at Decorum Est. Are Ukrainians still thinking that it's sweet and good to die for their country? They're celebrated for their resilience and courage. How are you finding the mood on the ground? Well, I mean, I'm, I love the poems of Wilfred Owen. But the idea that if... So the, the issue for the Russians is simple, is that they've invaded a peaceful country. The Ukrainians don't fight. Ukraine doesn't exist anymore. And I think if they invaded Britain, um, old as I am, I'd do my best. If I couldn't fight, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd protest, I'd write, I'd throw, I'd throw rocks, uh, whatever. And so I feel that this is an existential war for Ukraine and everybody here does it. You, like, everybody here you meet just wants the Russian army to leave Ukraine, to leave them be so they can get on with their peaceful democratic uh, life and, and 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 that's the thing i also think that the russian russian dark money i believe helped helped um elect help get donald trump into the white house 
probably helped um, help people or help the money for Brexit. It's murky, but certainly Brexit was a Russian goal, a Russian victory, because you've got a divided Europe. Britain is no longer in the European Union. Now, these are contentious things, but nevertheless, I think the West has been at war with, with Vladimir Putin's Russia for a long, long time. It's just we didn't know that. And so if the Ukrainians fail, then we're next. But as I said, I'm an optimist. I think that the, the Russians can do the, the heavy, you know, this awful human wave offensives. But there's a certain moment when they will start failing. And one of the reasons for which is they can't do combined, they can't do complicated stuff, combined arms maneuvers. We haven't seen that happening. What well, this is an awful lot of infantry charging and charging and charging Ukrainian lines. So I'm optimistic that down the track, he's got the Western kit and Ukrainian fighting spirit will combine and we'll start seeing the Russians going backwards. John, thank you very much and keep safe. That was John Sweeney in Kherson. Now, here's Monocle's Emma Searle with the day's other news headlines. Thanks, Georgina. The death toll of the train crash in Greece has risen to at least 57. More than 80 people were injured in a head-on collision between a freight train and a passenger train late on Tuesday night, which officials said was mainly due to human error. The United States and South Korea have announced they will conduct more than 10 days of joint military drills later this month. The Freedom Shield exercises aim to strengthen their combined defensive posture and will begin on the 13th of March. And more than half of the world's population will be overweight or obese by 2035 if no significant action is taken, a new report warns. The World Obesity Federation predicts that 51% of the world's population will be obese or overweight within the next 12 years. Rates of obesity are rising particularly quickly among children and in lower-income countries. Those are the day's headlines. Back to you, Georgina. Thanks, Emma. The top human rights advocate in Belarus, who was one of the 2022 Nobel Peace Prize winners, has been sentenced to 10 years in prison, alongside three other figures of the human rights centre he founded. Franak Viachorka, a journalist from Belarus and a senior advisor to Belarusian democratic movement leader Svetlana Tishkanovskaya, joins me now. Franak, many thanks for, for coming on the show. Alex Bieletsky and his colleagues were arrested in 2021. What were the charges? So first they were accused of financing uh, the extremist activities and organizing the protests. Uh, then they were changed uh, to something like tax evasion. And finally, I don't remember which set of accusations they had, but it doesn't matter really. They were just they were just sentenced for what they were doing. They were helping political prisoners. They were documenting uh, atrocities of Lukashenko in Belarus, but also in Ukraine. Uh, they were helping people to flee the country when they were faced persecution. And in general, Alice Belatsky is the personal enemy of Lukashenko. He hates him. And uh, for Lukashenko, Belatsky became even bigger enemy after he received the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, and can you tell us a little bit more about the Human Rights Center that he set up? So in 1994, uh, 30 years ago, Lukashenko came to power. And immediately millions of people went to streets to protest against the usurpation of power. Because Lukashenko dismissed the parliament, he dismissed the alternative organizations and initiatives. And Alice Belatsky started to help all those repressed. 
he started to uh, help their families as well. And the center was called Vyasna, the spring. It's like the spring will come. The good day will come after the bad day. And uh, all these years, he was doing the same stuff. He was advocating for Belarus in the international uh, arena. He was managing the thousands of volunteers. And he was always speaking out for Belarusian independence. And this is also something we often forget. But Belatsky not just human rights defender. He is the pro-independence activist. And he was always saying that Russia is the biggest threat to Belarus independence. And he, even from prison, he reminds us about that. Now, he's... He's been sent to prison for 10 years. Do you think that this harsh sentence is connected to Russia's war in Ukraine, which is obviously, as we know, supported by the Belarus leader, Alexander Lukashenko? Uh, Of course it's connected. But, you know, for Belarus, the war has started not in 2022, but in 2020. When Lukashenko lost elections, Svetlana Tsikhanovskaya received 70% of votes. Uh, Results uh, were falsified and Lukashenko seized the power and he started mass repressions. I can't understand how it happened that suddenly Belarus fell down in the medieval times, in the Stalin era. Right now, 15, 20 people every day are being detained, tortured, raped. Many people were killed in prisons. And it's happening every, every day. And when two, three years ago, activists were sentenced to 15 days, 25 days. Now it's 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. Even death penalty right now can be used against everyone who is expressing the discontent about Lukashenko's regime. It's just horrible. It's a, it's a humanitarian um, disaster. Lukashenko uh, met with the Chinese president Xi Jinping on Wednesday. Uh, together, they called for a ceasefire and negotiations to bring about a political settlement to the war in Ukraine. How serious is Lukashenko about this? I mean, do you think that he's readying his country to join Russia's invasion? And if so, would that be supported by the people of Belarus? Lukashenko is already part of uh, of the war. Lukashenko supports Putin uh, since the very beginning, and he hoped that the war will be short and Lukashenko will be the victor. It didn't happen. Right now, he's trying somehow to balance, but he's still a accomplice. He is a criminal. He must be uh, on, in tri- on tribunal uh, along with Putin. A Chinese visit, it's not something extraordinary because it was planned. It was planned several years ago. There was no any promise given to Lukashenko. Of course, for Lukashenko, it's a great opportunity to say, look, I'm a big boss, uh, foreign leaders are meeting me, not just Russian governors. And uh, but, but in fact, I don't think China will give money to Lukashenko. What China can try, they can use Belarus to deliver, to supply Russia with weapons. This would be dangerous development if it happens, and we should closely monitor that. But uh, to, to assume that Lukashenko and Chinese leadership discuss the war and the peace plan, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. Uh- And finally, Franek, with one of the top pro-democracy leaders in prison, how likely is there to be mass opposition to a war or indeed continuing protests against Lukashenko? The protest continues every day. Uh, we have the partisan groups, uh, more than 200,000 people join the partisan organizations and they do non-violent but still very active and very brave actions of sabotage. Like last week, they blow up the Russian spy plane in Minsk. And or they stop the Russian trains, they uh, leak, they collect, hack state institutions and leak data about the Russian army and about Lukashenko's regime. Majority of Belarusians uh, sympathize, uh, partisans and the protesters. People don't want Belarus to join the war. And this is why Lukashenko increased repression, because he understands how fragile he is. 
Franak, thank you very much indeed. That's Franak Viachorka. You're listening to The Briefing on Monocle 24. The Concierge from Monocle, brought to you in association with Allianz Partners, is coming soon to Monocle 24 and all good audio platforms. Just like Monocle's editors, Allianz Partners is committed to helping you build exceptional experiences whenever you're traveling. That's what makes this a perfect partnership. The Concierge program brings all the best of Monocle's award-winning and beloved coverage of travel from print and digital to the airwaves. You'll hear insider insights and ideas about where the world is heading, plus tips on packing your bags for the must-see destinations, new openings, and the loveliest spots to lay your head. So get out there and visit the places, enjoy the experiences, and meet the people changing the world of hospitality for the better. The Concierge, in association with Allianz Partners. You're back with a briefing on Monocle 24. I'm Georgina Godwin. In Cambodia, Kem Skola, who is the most prominent opposition leader there, has been sentenced to 27 years under house arrest for treason. Well, joining me on the line is Ung Cheng Por, a Cambodian political journalist. Uh, Cheng Por, who is Kem Sokha? Yes, uh, Kem Sokha initially got elected in Cambodia's uh, post-war election in 1993 become a lawmaker and later a senator. In 2002, he uh, took a break from uh, politics to found the prominent Cambodia Center for Human Rights, uh, focusing on grassroots human rights education and campaign. Um, he returned to politics in 2007 and uh, Sokha became a lawmaker again. In 2013, his coalition with Mr. Somrengsi, another opposition leader, was close to gaining a majority in the parliament. He he was arrested while serving as the leader of the opposition and president of the Cambodian National Rescue Party in 2017 and later was really on bail to attend his uh, treason trial. Again, his uh, conviction today in a legal system strictly supervised by the ruling party. Why did the Cambodian regime think he was such a threat? Yes, of course, as a matter of fact, the CNRP led by Kamsukha had quite a strong performance in 2013 national election and 2017 uh, local election came close to the ruling uh, to the party with the ruling Cambodian People Party, which has been in power since 1979. Before the CNRP was dissolved, after Mr. Komsakar was arrested on the charge of conspiring with a foreign power to overthrow the government, an informal poll leaked to the press that. Uh, become uh, hard to independently verify in early uh, 2017 confirmed that either Mr. Kamsukha or Mr. Samrengsi to be more popular than Mr. Hun Sen, the Prime Minister, running up to the 2018 election. So he's been locked up now. What about the people who are still at liberty? What can you tell us about the state of the democracy movement in Cambodia? Oh, the Cambodian-owned uh, ruling Cambodia uh, People Party um, is in the process of uh, like uh, one in a lifetime transition. So they do not want any threat from the time being from any external political force. Um, so that the princeling or I can say princesslings of the current senior party leadership are slow, uh, can uh, slowly taking over from their father or mother to run the country. 
Uh, that means uh, the opposition must be weak and the civil society organization must be manageable in a legal system choreographed by the CPP uh, for the intergenerational uh, transition to be smooth and a success. So democracy may have to wait. The Prime Minister, Hung Sen, is one of the world's longest-serving autocrats. He's been in power, as you say, since 1985. Is he planning to stand again at the next election in July? Yes, of course he will uh, run as the Prime Minister candidate. Uh, the ruling CPP have named him as the, their, their sole candidate and as well as make an attachment that his son, Lieutenant General Hun Manet, uh, will be uh, the only candidate to succeed him in the future in the post in the position of the prime minister. Yeah. Ng Chenpo, thank you very much indeed. And it's time now to join Andrew Muller as he views the last seven days of news through his slightly cynical lens. We learned this week that being inside a single market containing most of the world's richest economies is good. No. Really? Oh, that blows my mind. No way. Blow me down. We learned this from UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who in the course of selling his silk purse from Southsea Northern Ireland deal, took a break from his usual shtick of pitching Brexit as a passport, a blue British passport obviously, to the sunlit uplands to enthuse to an audience in Belfast about the possibilities and opportunities of free trade with the European Union. Northern Ireland is in the unbelievably special position, unique position in the entire world, European continent, in having privileged access, not just to the UK home market, which is enormous, fifth biggest in the world, but also the European Union single market. Nobody else has that. No one. Only you guys, only here. If it's that exciting, maybe think about rolling it out to the rest of the country, is a notion that I believe will find favour with the general muttered agreement crew. In what has been quite a week for admissions from those culpable for pointless political tantrums hurled on entirely false prospectuses, we also learned that Fox News might have been guilty of forsaking the reporting of verifiable reality in favour of just telling its core audience of angry yokels what they preferred to hear. And we're going to need our chorus of in-house Captain Renault's back. No. Really? Oh, that blows my mind. No way. Blow me down. That's probably all for this week, but don't go too far. We learned of Fox's duplicity from what can probably, in this specific instance, be considered the reliable source of Fox News proprietor Rupert Murdoch, deposed under oath in a $1.6 billion lawsuit being brought against Fox by voting tech company Dominion, which has rather wearied of Fox presenters suggesting that Dominion had been an accessory to some ghastly, nefarious conspiracy to deprive former President Donald Trump of another four years of chewing on the Oval Office furniture. 
Tonight, we have new explosive details from the private conversations of Fox News executives as they knowingly fed their audience lies about the 2020 election. We learned that Murdoch's testimony contained, among much else, the following admission vis-a-vis Fox's amplifying of Trump's demented fantasies of electoral fraud, as will now be narrated by Monocle 24's Shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here, desk chief Fernando Augusto Pacheco. I would have liked us to be stronger in denouncing it, in hindsight. This follows, of course, the unearthing through the same case of emails between some of Fox's best-known presenters, from which we learned what they really think of certain of the seething Trump acolytes to whom Fox gave its airtime. Those assessments including, but not limited to, insane, a complete nut, and a wackadoodle, and the views thereof, nonsense, crazy and bullshit. We also learned that Fox President Jay Wallace had side of one of his network's own programs that the North Koreans do a more nuanced show. Sticking with the subject of rousing patriotic tunes, we learned that the inadvertent playing of the wrong national anthem at an inopportune moment has lost none of its considerable power to amuse. We learned that Hong Kong's ice hockey team, expecting its victory over Iran in a tournament in Sarajevo to be acknowledged with China's national anthem, March of the Volunteers, were instead treated, by accident or design, to a pro-democracy protest song called Glory to Hong Kong, or at least to a bit of it, before the error was noticed. We learned that this is the fifth instance of such a mishap in the last year alone. And we, for one humorous news monologue, are genuinely sorry to have missed the previous four. But if there's one thing we have learned about China, it is that Beijing's response will be, as always, equable, forgiving and good-humoured, as befits a great nation, and in absolutely no respect, undignified, petty or absurd. (coughs) As a side note, we also learned from squinting at the scoreboard, 11-1, that Iran absolutely suck at ice hockey. And we learned that among the very many varieties of dissent liable to incur the wrath of authorities in Russia is the hanging of noodles on one's ears. We learned that Mikhail Abdalkin, a Communist Party member of the State Parliament of Samara, had been summoned by local plod after he disseminated footage of himself watching a recent speech by President Vladimir Putin with, indeed, noodles hung on his ears. We learned upon looking into this further that the phrase to hang noodles on someone's ears is a Russian colloquialism meaning to lie to someone, or so it says here on the internet, and that Mr. Abdalkin thereby stood accused of calling President Putin's integrity somewhat into question. We, however, cannot see that there is much of a case against Mr. Abdalkin and believe that the Samara police, stick with us, seeking to prosecute him over his subversive spaghetti draping are... Grasping at straws. For Monocle 24, I'm Andrew Muller. Thank you, Andrew. And that's all for this edition of The Briefing. 
It was produced by Marcus Hippie and our researchers were Monica Lillis and Andre Nikolai Pamintuin. Our studio manager today was Adam Heaton. The briefing is back on Monday at the same time and I'll be with you tomorrow for Monocle on Saturday. I'm Georgina Godwin. Goodbye and thanks for listening. Listening.